Sometimes I, I am truly amazed at, at people. Like, uh, when you talk to older people, they have all these weird sayings when you're growing up that you don't get, but um, there was a man by the name of uh, Mr. Henry Hill. Some of you may not have had the pleasure of knowing him, but uh, is any of his family here? Is any of his family here? Miss Deborah, the Rodriguez family. Miss Rosa, are you here? Uh, he, he would tell me, Joshua, he, he would say, Joshua, you, you're so, you should be thankful that you don't look like what you came through. And as a kid, I was like, but I haven't been through anything. But I think what God wants to remind us of is that anything that you went through is not insignificant. Because anything that you came through, somebody died in. Like, <laughs> like, like, can you, can we just like lean into that just for a second? Anything that you came out of, you might have some scars, you might have some scrapes, some bruises, you might have lost a leg or an arm, but because you came through it, there were some people that died in it. And that enough is enough to praise God for. I guess, uh, I guess let's get in the word. I guess let's get in the word. Good morning. Good morning. People died what you made it out of. In the moments where you thought that you were going to lose your mind and you made it out of, and you're like, oh my God, whew, I'm glad that's over. There are people that are still in that space. So the least that you can do is say, God, thank you. That's the, that's the least that you can do. All right. Okay, give me 50 minutes. 45 minutes. That that's good. I am uh, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna get down. I'm, I'm gonna do this really really quick. Are we back online? Good morning, everybody that's online. Uh, sorry, we're back now. Welcome back. Can everybody say hello? hello? Good morning and welcome to the AWC show, the best show on earth. I'm not the greatest showman. Pastor Martin's out of town, but he'll be here next week. Um, so we have literally been spending like the last like four or five weeks in this series called, come on, a series called, where we are like, we're breaking down how God is, that that's who we are. If God can do certain things, and if God was created, uh, God was never created, but if God is, that means that we can. If God is, that means that we should. If God can, that means that we have to. We've been breaking down these concepts of what's the most important thing to God. And the most important thing to God is that we realize that we're made in his image. Amen. You ready to go to work today? All right, let's do it. Let's do it. So one of the conversations that we, uh, that we don't really talk about in the church is this conversation about mental illness, uh, social hurt, pain. Uh, and we, we do a very, very poor job of talking about people's emotional intelligence. And, and so many times uh, Christians will use the word of God to support their ignorance or to support their demonic want. I've done it. I'm not standing before you like I'm holy or whatever, but what we're the best at, say the best at, is finding a remedy for our sickness but not finding the cure. Because the cure, once you get the cure for something, you're responsible for your health. But if you're on, like, Medicaid, spiritual Medicaid, everybody else has to pay for your sickness. Woo! So you can be a very, like, mean, crass, terrible person and then cover it with medicine saying, I'm just being real. Where no, boo-boo, you being mean. Or you can carry this sickness of unforgiveness and say, like, well, I need forgiveness. Like, they need to say I'm sorry. But actually, the word of God says that you're supposed to forgive and then reconcile. Reconciliation comes after forgiveness. So, like, while we're in church, we, we don't talk about the mental issues that happen when you give your life to Christ. The problem is, is that we sell people Jesus. Some churches sell people Jesus. Some organizations sell people Jesus, but they don't sell to them what happened. Like they sell the cross and the blood and the crucifixion, but they don't sell the 14 hours of tormenting that he went through. And in the same way, if Jesus is supposed to die on his cross and he calls us to die on our cross, that there's going to be some stuff that you're going to have to deal with mentally. Can we talk? 
I hear you, whoever that was. The church is dying for a lack of knowledge, but I honestly believe that now we're kind of dying for a lack of application. It's not the lack of knowledge because the minute that you are given knowledge, you are not responsible for what you know. So we take the time to come to church and we learn. There's too much knowledge going on in this building for us to be bound. There's too much knowledge in this building for us not to be delivered. So the question is, what is it about receiving truth and receiving knowledge that makes it difficult for us as Christians to apply? What is the blockage that I can give you a subscription every single, I'm not a subscription, I can give you, what is it called? A prescription every single week from the word of God. Pastor can give you a prescription every single week from the word of God, but you're still mentally, physically, spiritually sick. You have the pills, you have the keys to the kingdom, like the medicine to help you with your mental disability or with your physical disability or your spiritual disability, but all of our medicine is literally like catching dust and we're trying to figure out, I'm still sick. Well, you have what you need. To die of ignorance means that you had no way to know. To die of ignorance means that you had no, you have no possible way to have an understanding of something, but we know a little bit too much. Today is going to make you feel extremely uncomfortable. I want to make sure you understand something. Growth never comes from comfortability. It never comes from comfortability. As we talked about last week, Jesus lives in this place of un. God lives in this place of un. Uncontrollable, uncomfortable, un, uh, dis, uh, no understanding. Like He lives in this place of the only way that I can get you to move is when you're the most uncomfortable. So if you feel uncomfortable, I just challenge you to sit here today and just hear what God has to say about your life. Amen. So I want you to write this down. So I was reading all week, and I was trying to figure out, God, what is it about the people of God that we neglect to have this conversation regarding mental health? Like, why is it that we're so quick to pray, but then we say that you shouldn't go and get help from someone else? Like, why, why do we pray for certain sicknesses to be taken away, but then as soon as we think we've got our healing, we just abandon all earthly knowledge? Like, yes, you are sufficient, but you also sent us some help. That's like being married and saying, God, please deliver me, me, please deliver me and my wife from whatever spirit is on our family, and you get what you need from God, but you never talk to your wife. Yes. If God shares knowledge with you, you're supposed to share it with your body. So I'm trying to figure out what is the disillusion of Christians where we can sit in a place for years and not grow? How can you be going to church your entire life and you ain't got nothing to show for it, Joshua? Like, how could you say and do faith and tithe and f first fruit and all this other stuff, but then when you look at your life, there's no fingerprint of God on it? Like, what is it about your life, Josh, that you can literally be doing all the right steps but not getting the same results? And it's this little thing called trauma. Can we talk today? I want you to write this down. Trauma. Defined is the emotional shock following a stressful event or a physical injury, which may be associated with physical shock, emotional shock, spiritual shock, and sometimes leads to long-time neurosis. Can you say neurosis? Do you know what neurosis is? This is what neurosis is. Neurosis defined is a class of functional mental disorder. Can you say functional? Functional mental disorders involving chronic distress by either delusions or hallucinations. This is a representation in our lifestyle that if we can prove something logically that it should be. So we'll use the scripture to support our ignorance. Can we talk just for a second? Look at your neighbor and say, you're too smart for your own good. Well, it says in John 2 that Jesus turned water into wine, so I'm free to drink in Christ as long as I'm not a drunk. Uh, Ephesians 5 says that women must submit to their husbands, so abuse is permissible, right? Like, she's supposed to submit to me, so if I raise my hand or raise my voice, it's permissible because it's in the word of God. Uh, 1 John 4 says the Bible says that God is love, so surely I should be able to express my love to whoever, whatever, whenever, for however long I want to, even if my foundation isn't biblically supported. So we are literally creating sustainable mental disorderly Christians that are using the word of God to support their ignorance. Can we talk? We use the word of God that's supposed to set us free to sustain the lifestyle that we don't want to give up. 
it says I don't, it says not to be a drunk. Like, so if I drink, is that the problem? And I think that God is sitting like, why do you have to question every single thing that I'm giving you? Why can't when I tell you not to do something, that be it? I think it's because once we start thinking about the application of medicine, once you take it, it doesn't taste as good as you thought it was. Good tasting medicine is called candy. It's called a placebo. It's called you think you're taking your medicine and they actually gave you uh, Smarties or Skittles. Can we go deep this morning? Okay. There are many people who are in bondage, not because they don't read the Bible, but because they have made it their career to make the Bible mean something that it doesn't. The word of God is black and white, and we will do our best to re-mechanize the word of God so that it supports us. That's Miss Jackie Hill Perry. Awesome. Listen to this. Everything that makes sense isn't worth your while. There are a lot of things that are true, but it's, it's, it's not worth. Do, do y'all want proof? Genesis 1.26, Jesus says to Adam and Eve, he says, look. I gave you everything that you need. Adam, you did what you needed to do, so now I'm going to give you a helper. But there's only one caveat. You can live in this place. You can eat from every tree except for which one? The knowledge of good and evil. Not good and evil, but the understanding of good and evil. Knowledge is good. Knowing that something is evil is good. That's truth, right? But would it be worth your while to not know what evil is? What would have happened if they would have taken God's commandment not to touch the fruit or to not touch the tree? Where would they be? A lot of things that are good for you, I'm sorry, a lot of things that are truthful, it's true, but it's not good for you. My family's broken, that's the truth, but it's not good for you. Like, I'm having a tough time with my sexuality right now. Like, that's the truth. But God has something gooder for you. So this is the title of my message, write it down. Mind damage. Mind damage. What we have to understand is that brain damage, trauma, and things like that, it doesn't just happen if I were to fall off of this stage or if I were to take a baseball to the face, but because of the repetition of experiences that I've been through, the history, what you've been through can literally cause trauma, which has an impressionable point on your brain. So every time you're in the same stimuli, your brain will do the thinking for you. This is what we call poverty mentality. This is what we call confusion mentality. This is where we just call identity mentality, where you, you, your, you, your brain literally takes you and puts you to sleep and goes into autopilot because it says we've been here before, so we have to act so that we can protect ourselves. Can we talk? So there's a difference between flesh and blood and strongholds. Can you say that? Flesh and blood and strongholds. All the way through the Bible, we see all of these different examples of people that are fighting in between the two. Listen to this. King David, right? Everybody loves David. You've heard a million sermons about David, but listen to this. He slaughtered armies. He took wives away from their husbands and then sent their husbands to war so that nobody could tell. He, he, he won wars by any means necessary. He was a gluttonous, addict, uh, addictive person to women, money, and possessions, and he sinned just as much as he worshipped. Flesh and blood. He was so, like, interested in what he could physically touch. But then you jump a little bit further ahead. Can you say further ahead? And you meet a man by the name of Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, he wasn't a king. He led no army. He never went to war. And the majority of his rulership as being an apostle was spent debating and deconstructing the philosophy of men towards grace. In other words, the Apostle Paul, his entire ministry was about pulling down the way men think. So there's a difference between what you feel, what you see, and what you experience in your physical body and what your spirit man's dealing with that you can't see. So I'm going to give you some scripture reference. So in 2 Corinthians 10.4, we see Paul writing to the Corinthian, the, the Corinth church because they have, they're having these issues because before Jesus comes, people on earth are, like, trying to figure it out. It's kind of like at Thanksgiving, you forgot to cook, and y'all are like, what's going on? Then mama walks in, and you're like, oh, we're saved because she knows how to cook, right? Like, they're trying to figure it out. So Paul starts writing these letters to the Corinthian church. That's where we get 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. 
uh, it's two letters that he writes to the church, but it's applicable to us today. So in the New Living Testament of 2 Corinthians 10.4, this is what he says. He says, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. In the King James Version, it says, for the weapons of this warfare are not carnal. Write that down, carnal. But mighty in God for pulling down of what? Strongholds. In the Amplified Version, which is my Uncle Kevin's favorite version, I learned this last week, because it breaks everything down, then it breaks it down, then it breaks it down. The weapons of our warfare are not physical, weapons of flesh and blood. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the deconstruction of fortresses. Fortresses are things that you run to to be safe. Have you ever thought that you might run to your own ignorant thinking as a fortress? I don't like this conversation. There's too much truth. So let me, es- let me escape to how I think because it makes me feel good. Like I'd rather deal with being enslaved than deal with the reasonings of being uh, uh, free because freedom, it, it, there's a price that's paid for being free. Because now I got to think on my own. I got to make it work for myself. So Paul helps us understand that what you experience here, what you see, what you feel, is like a tenth of importance of what your inner man is dealing with, the things that you cannot see. But we build our entire lives on this foundation that when we see things, we, when we experience things, that that's the truth. But how many of you know that if you've seen something, it's been working in the spirit realm for twice as long? The minute you see something physically, something was happening in the dark place. Something was happening in somebody's spirit before you saw it. If somebody spits in your face and slaps you, they didn't get mad right there. If somebody is enraged with you, if somebody is upset with you, if you get to the point where you literally, you mentally break down and you lose your mind, you didn't lose your mind in the moment. There was an attack that started, maybe not in your lifetime, but maybe it was generations. Maybe it was generations ago because somebody experienced trauma and they never dealt with it. Can we talk church? There are things that have happened in your life that are not okay. You have to deal with it. Trauma in your life unresolved is a demon that we created. Trauma in your life, trauma in your grandparents' life, your great-grandparents, ancestors, it doesn't just die with them when they die. It's passed on and inherited. Church, if we do not deal with our mental health and our traumatic moments, we can live here on earth, but we're going to be tormented. What would happen if you dealt with the trauma? I didn't like that. That made me feel this way. You know, I don't want to be in this dark place anymore. When you did that, it hurt my feelings. What would happen if we dealt with it? I'm sure our lives would be a lot better. Paul says it's not the physical part. It's not the physical part that you should be worried about. It's not about feeling uncomfortable when you have to go to your your in-law's Christmas. No, there's something that was happening in the dating relationship that manifested itself now at Christmas, now that you're married. So what mark did we miss? What traumatic moment happened to you earlier that we're now seeing the physical manifestation of now? So in 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5, listen to this. Paul's entire ministry was trying to teach us how to think. How, not what to think. You make that decision yourself. Say, I'm a free thinker. I think what I want, when I want, how I want. But somebody has to teach us how to think. If I teach you how to think, what you think will be taken care of. So in 2 Corinthians 1 through 6, is this too much? Good. And now a personal but most urgent letter. I write in the gentle but firm spirit of Christ. People thought that Paul, as he was writing these letters, they thought that he was punking out that he didn't want to go to these cities and speak to them. But what Paul realized, he says, it's better for me to write this letter to you because my spirit, if I was with you physically, it would hurt your feelings. Let me write this to you. There are some people, you're saving their life by not having the sit-down meeting over coffee. Who am I talking to? Well, I just want to sit down and talk about the issue. My heart isn't in the right place right now. I got to deal with the trauma before I... I got to deal with what you said to me before I reconcile with you. And what Paul is saying is that it's better for you to deal with your heart and not the person than to do it the opposite way around. Because hurt people hurt people. So before we have a conversation, Leon, I got I to gotta deal with me so I see you correctly. 
Because what you did to me, it's not you. It's something that happened. A percentage of what people do to you, it has nothing to do with you. There was something that happened in the spiritual realm a long time ago that now is manifest. So in 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 6, he he says, I hear that I'm being painted as cringing and wishy-washy when I'm with you, but harsh and demanding when I'm at a safe distance writing letters. Please don't force me to take a hard line when I'm present with you. Don't think that I'll hesitate a single minute to stand up to those who say I'm I'm an unprincipled opportunist. Then they'll have to eat their words. The world is unprincipled. If you do not get anything from today, I want you to make sure that you get this verse, the third through the sixth verse. Listen, the world is unprincipled. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. The world doesn't fight fair, but we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt what? Culture. Which basically means that the way that we work as dysfunctional, mentally disordered individuals, it's now a culture of acceptance. It used to be that if you saw somebody that was dealing with something mentally, physically, and they needed some help, and they were subpar, and they weren't all the way full, it was, you weren't going to get crucified if you said that person needs help. But now, we live in a place where if I say you need help, people don't say thank you for seeing that in me. They will condemn you and be upset because you don't have it too. Why are you always angry? Well, you're never angry? No, I love, I love this place that I'm in. We live in a day and time now where we literally own our sickness and we pet it and feed it so that it will grow. But then also fall to our knees and ask God to take it away. But God doesn't take away pets. God won't take away something that you're feeding every day. God won't, God won't take something away that you're walking every day. I walk my depression. This is my depression. What is that? God, can you take this oppression away from me? Well, I can't because you're holding on to the leash for dear life. And if I take your depression, you're going to be upset like that little kid that lost his dog. Like, they took my bike, they took my dog. So people, us, individuals, Christians, will love to ask God to free us from something that we're holding on to. This is my depression. This is my anger. You ever met somebody that gains energy from negativity? Like, why are you always mad all the time? Like, you're always so confused. Like... It's because of the fact that they've never had energy from, other, from another place than trauma. Did you know that when you have your traumatic moment, that sometimes your brain will stop developing at that point? So you can be 60 and still be five. I'll talk to this side of the room. Y'all getting quiet. I'm coming back though. Don't worry. You could be married as a husband and still be thinking about what happened with uncle in the basement when you were seven. But nobody wants to talk about it. We want to give you deliverance, but we don't want to give you freedom. What would happen if we did? Y'all glad you came to church today? I could tell you just to roll it over on Jesus, but what Jesus said is this. Take up your cross. I already carried mine. And the same thing that I did, you're going to do even greater work. So pick up your cross and walk. For another tidbit, this entire message has been supported by Pastor Martin. So don't think it's me. We, we, we chewed on this for days. Because I can't teach you anything that God didn't expose me to first. Because there are some things that I'm literally walking through up here right now that this what you see is not in agreement with. But my spirit man... My spirit man understands that, Josh, what you feel physically with your flesh and blood, that's carnal. But, Josh, you got to pull down these strongholds of what you think is the truth. If I showed you the inside of my brain, it would disqualify me from speaking to you. Can we talk? People that you fall in love with, if they told you the true story, you wouldn't want to hear it from them up here. But you'll listen to the, the music of those people on your iPod. They can do no wrong, but when somebody's trying to give you the life of Christ and share with you their life to show you that they're real like you, we crucify them. Bondage, strongholds, it's not chains, it's not physical prisons, but you could be in a prison in your mind. And you hold the key. Let me show you in scripture for all the skeptics. How many skeptics out there? I know I'm one. I, 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 anybody, when I read the word, I demand that it explains it. 
you know what? You got to explain to me what this means, God. Because when you say to forgive somebody, Jason, 70 times 7, God, that's hard. So you got to show me. You can demand the text to speak to you. Look at your neighbor and say, God speaks. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down what? Barriers erected against the truth of God. Fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. You guys want to know something crazy? Paul also wrote the book of Ephesians. Can we go there? Ephesians 6.12, it says, for we do not wrestle against what? So seven times he has said, like, what you physically see is unimportant. But we have been teaching a message, and it's been taught that, that the physical part is the most important. But everything worth starting starts in the spiritual realm. That's why God says, I called you before you were even here, because I knew if I could get that part right, when you came to earth, there'd be no issues for you. What you've made it out of and what you're struggling in, some people died in, which means that there was something that happened spiritually before it happened physically. So this is a stronghold. Is this too much? It is good for that one person back there. I'm, I'm glad it's too much because we become too comfortable. You don't build muscles by, by, by lifting the same amount of weight. You literally have to tear your muscles so that they build back up. Right? So this is a stronghold defined. I want you to write this down. A stronghold is one's unseen prison built in and or around the mind, hindering it from growth. Anything on, what, anything on which one person relies Stronghold in the Greek, though, in the Greek it means argument or philosophy. Strongholds are arguments or philosophy. A lot of times, how many business owners do we have in the room? A lot of the times, have you ever, I mean, like real business owners, like I need a million dollar insurance policy, like I need to get my trademark, I need to get like my copyright. I'm not talking about slinging catfish dinners on the street. I'm talking about, like I'm, can we be honest? Like I do this. If I lose this, I lose everything. Anybody? Sometimes when you're fighting against principalities, you're not fighting against the devil. You're fighting against the policies of this city. Yes. Strongholds, philosophies, like, like these different constructs that are trying to make it difficult for you to do what you need to do. So when you understand the difference between a stronghold and flesh and blood, you pray different. Wait a minute, God, this isn't you and this isn't the enemy. Okay, then what I'm looking at might be the way in which I think. So, God, it's not you and the devil. You're not that smart to know that much and orchestrate it this way. The only person smart enough to build a barrier that I can't break is me. Like, I built this wall around myself that I thought was going to protect me from other people, but in essence, it has blocked me in. Your age of development is stunted by the traumatic incident that happened to you when it happened. So a lot of us gave our hearts to Christ, and that is a traumatic moment. Trauma is neither negative nor positive. It's just something that was so great, so massive, that it left an impression on your brain of significance. So we give our hearts to Christ and our life totally changes. And it's like we're going through spiritual withdrawal from what we used to do. And nobody gives us a guide on how to live our life after we say I do with God. So now we're, tra like we're traumatized. Like, God, like, this is so amazing. Like, my heart's been wrecked and I'm ready for, to live for you. But then we, we don't come back to the source so that we can have the right medicine to help us with this new sickness called Jesus. Let me not call it a sickness. It's more like a virus because once you get it, it spreads through your entire body. And you become infectious where people see you and they're like, bro, what is that on you? Well, hachoo, this Jesus. You, you need some. Don't wipe it off. Smear it in. <laughs> so there are a couple of ways that we receive strongholds. Is this good? There are a couple of ways that we receive strongholds. I want you to write these down. And there are so many other more, but I'm, I'm going to keep it to three in the context of the word. The first is through repeated experiences. Well, if it keeps happening, this must be who I am. Like, if, if this keeps happening, it happened to my great-grandfather, it happened to my grandfather, it happened to my father, and now it's happening to me, then this just must, we're all disloyal. Like, like we all are unfaithful, so I guess that's just in my DNA. If it sounds like a duck, looks like a duck. Quack, quack, Aflac. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, I don't see those, well, I don't watch television, but I don't see those commercials anymore. Uh, well, you know, my mom had a kid. 
My great-grandma had a kid. My granny had a kid. So I guess what's the, what's the problem with having a kid without being married? It's, it's not that God can't bless that because it's not a mess, but the way in which you think has to be reconstructed. Because something that happens over and over repeatedly doesn't mean it's a good pattern. I can play one song over here and play another song over here, and in their own separate spaces, they're on beat, but together it sounds like a mess. The second way that we receive strongholds is through inheritance. You can literally inherit the spirit or the cloud of something that somebody did not beat in their time and it's passed on to you. Young men, listen to me. If you are dealing with the spirit of pornography, if you are dealing with the spirit of pervertedness, if you are dealing with the spirit of any type of perversion when it comes to your body, the seed that you give, I want to make sure that you understand that it's not always your fault. The church has told you you're dirty, you're terrible, don't touch yourself or your hands will get hairy, which I don't know where that comes from. And we have built a generation of men that don't want to bring their issue to you. They'll rather deal with it in the dark. What I want to make sure you understand is that if you're dealing with it now, there was a generation of men that dealt with it. And if they couldn't, you can. If all the family in your life was broke if you're alive now and you're not dead, there's still hope that you can be the sustaining part of your family. I want to make sure you understand, last week we talked about it, but it's the minute you gave your heart to Christ, you have a new normal. It's not okay that that happened, but it would be your fault to allow it to keep continue. There's not enough blood on the cross. There's not enough little wafer stale crackers because we only do communion every once in a while. Like, there's not enough of those to deal with your mindset. You have to change your mind. God won't do it. God can't do it. He made us free will spirits. The third way that we, that we receive, that we receive uh, strongholds is through traumatic moments. And in church, we give people Jesus, but we don't give them, like, how, how do you, I deal with what happened? Like, I'm delivered, but I'm still in bondage in my head, bro. Like, like, I was 12 and I'm 26 and you told me I'm made like God and that the blood washes over me. But, like, Monday is tomorrow. I can't take you home with me like anybody. Like, what, like what am I supposed to do when I wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning with the memory of what happened? My body has gotten over it because flesh and blood passes away. You shed your skin every seven years. Every seven years, your taste buds change. So my body is dealing with it because it renews itself, but my mind won't do it. But how do I do this thing? Traumatic moments such as sickness, curses, mental illness, confusion of identity, our sexual orientation, socially, personally, even our own sin can be traumatic. You know your life, right? You are the perfect poster child for your life before you met Christ. What you used to do in sin is traumatic. I'll talk to myself. I used to abuse my body in ways of lying to myself. I used to abuse myself in the sense of like pornography and things like that. And once you come to Christ, God, I'm great, but I still have to deal with what I saw. Can we talk? I'm just being vulnerable. I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to be progressive. I'm trying to be progressive. The only way that this message works is if I bear my heart and share with you the ugly parts. But the only way I can share with you the ugly parts is if I've killed it. Because if I haven't killed it and I share it with you, you're liable to take it with you. Stop taking advice from people that haven't killed the demon that they have on a leash. Stop taking advice from people that are trying to help you get through something and they're still feeding it. This is why right now, me and Vanessa are very, I am so particular of who I've received text messages from. Because I believe that the physical part isn't important. It's the spirit that's behind it. So I won't even shake hands with somebody that has a life that I don't want. Hear what I'm saying. Not what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm going to shake your hand because I love you. But I'm not going to enter into a covenant relationship with you. Because the minute I do that, what's on your life comes into mine. A lot of us are sick, kind of like the music contagion, because the people around us are sick. Too much. Let me move on. The word of God said that they were unimpressed. It's okay. Write this down. All sin is an identity crisis. 
not for your body, but for your mind. Anything that you do that is out of the righteousness and the holiness of God is an identity crisis. Because anytime you act in sin, you're acting out of the will of God. Anytime that you act in sin, anytime you act in rebellion, unforgiveness, or frustration, we have to understand that when you're doing that, no parts of you are connected with God in those moments. So that's why when we become saved, when we come through this thing called salvation, you used to be a sinner, but now you're a person that's saved, that sins occasionally. There's a difference. People that don't know things, they, they, they have ignorance. They don't know. You ever been slapped by a four-year-old? But they don't know any better. They think it's a game. Benjamin is the strongest three, four-year-old I've ever met in my life. And he hit me one time and I was like, this, you, like, I don't know why we take our shirts off every time we want to scrap. But what Kylan had to remind me very quickly before I snatched his kid up was that he doesn't, he doesn't know any better. But what about us that do know better? Forgive, be reconciled, put it on the altar, worship him like you got it. Yes, pastor, yes, pastor. But your heart on the inside is saying we don't believe that fully. So now we have this other mental disorder called spiritual schizophrenia. Can we talk? My physical body talks, but my spirit man disagrees with what my physical body is. So now I'm warring within myself with two different personalities. You're this person with this group of friends. You're this person at work. You're this person with your girlfriend. You're this person over here. You're this person when you're on Xbox Live playing with people that you don't know. So now all of the pieces of who you are, all your personalities are all fighting for this chance in the spotlight. And all of us out here are like, who are you? I thought you said you were born again, but I don't know who I'm going to get today. Am I going to get the light shoe? Am I going to get the the mean one? Am I going to get the frustrated one? Or am I going to get the one that doesn't have any time for it? And God is trying to figure out which part of you to bless, but they all look the same. Josh, if you were, it's it's hard trying to master myself. Uh It's hard trying to master one of me. How much harder would it be to master six different versions of myself? So a lot of the times you're not fighting God, you're not fighting the enemy. You're fighting the different different impersonations of yourself that you made. On the inside of your body, you're fighting with your anger. You're fighting with your depression. You're fighting with your anxiety as if it's a person. And I know I'm talking because it's mad quiet in here. But I want to make sure that you understand that the grace of God is sufficient to silence them. But the Holy Spirit is a helper. Can you say that? helper, which means that the Holy Spirit doesn't stand in any situations that you don't invite him or her in. The Holy Spirit doesn't just come and change your mind. No, the Holy Spirit comes and helps you change your mind, which means that we got to do the work. Can you say do the work? We still good? Now, I know that uh, my my, my friend, Kiwan in Mississippi, he says, you haven't preached until you have uh, killed him, until you've killed Jesus, buried Jesus, and raised him up. You ain't preached yet. So I know I got to talk about Jesus for some of y'all to get it. Totally get it. So let's go to the word. Let's go to the word. Matthew 4.11. If there's any, if there is any good example of how to do this correctly, it's in the mind of Jesus. He's like our perfect example. Can you say perfect example? Perfect example. Matthew 4.11 in the message. Next, Jesus was taken into the wild by the spirit for the test. What we have to understand is that before Jesus went into the desert or the wilderness for 40 days, he prepared himself before he went. The devil was ready to give it. Jesus prepared for the test by fasting 40 days and 40 nights, which means he could have been being tormented in those other 40 days, but this was the moment that was the most important. So all the little things that you've beaten, I'm not saying that those are unimportant, but there's something big that God wants you to be prepared for. So the little things that are bothering you that, are, that you see as insignificant, God is literally building up your strength so that when the big thing comes, you can say, well, I have 40 other examples of this, so I can, I can deal with this easy. A lot of the things that you curse and you ask God to take away is literally an experience to build your strength. Uh, uh, Jesus prepared for the test by fasting 40 days and 40 nights. That left him, of course, in a state of extreme hunger. So the enemy comes to him and he says, since you are God's son, Speak the word that these stones would be turned to bread. And what does Jesus do? Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy. Jesus looks at the enemy. He's hungry. He's delirious. The voice is in his head, right? We don't know if the enemy was there physically. Let's just say it was a voice in his head. 
You ever had a voice in your head? Don't lie, because 99,000% of y'all are lying. <laughs> Let's just say that the enemy was just a thought. You're hungry, just eat. He responds to the voice. He responds to the enemy's voice with the word. It takes more than bread to stay alive. It takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. Five through six, for the second test, the devil took him on top of the holy city. He sat him on top of the temple and he basically says, okay, since you were God's son, jump. The devil uh, goaded him by quoting Psalms 91, which means that the enemy knows the word too. So it means you need to know a little bit more words. So every time he comes with something, you can give him back what he doesn't know. So the enemy will say, well, God would never let you. Let, if you throw yourself, the angels will catch you. But you should be able to say, well, in God's word, it also said that he will never lead me into a place that he can't deliver me from. Well, you know, if you go down there, you're going to be hungry. Well, God also said that man shall not live by bread alone. So in a lot of our situations mentally with our mental disorders, we're going into these places and we're losing because we're unprepared. You cannot win in areas that you do not prepare. And giving your life to Christ is great, but the preparation comes afterwards. Okay, God, now that I've given you my life, there's a new lifestyle that's coming that I have to be prepared for. So I have to use this thing called the word of God to build that. Somebody say this is good if it's good. Okay. Jesus counted with another citation of Deuteronomy. He goes back to the word. Jesus never says, well, I. He says, well, the word says. Don't you dare test the Lord your God. Now, when I thought, when I read this, I thought that was like when your mom looked at you and was like, watch your mouth because you don't know who you're talking to. No. But what God is, what Jesus is saying is that, like, don't, don't test me because the keys that you think you have of this world, they're really mine. So you can't punk me over something that has my name on it. <laughs> Eight through nine. For the third test, the devil took him and, and he spoke to him on top of a mountain and he said, uh, uh, I'll show you all of the kingdom of, kingdoms of the world. Then he said, they're yours. Look, stock in the barrel. Just go down on your knees and worship me, and they're yours. Listen to this. It says, Jesus' refusal was curt, which basically means that the enemy didn't even get the chance to finish the second. There are a lot of things in your life speaking to you that you need to cut it off when it starts speaking. Don't even let it finish talking to you. Well, you know what? I just feel like, no, you know what? You need to shut up and get out of here. You need to open up your mouth in some situations and tell that voice in your head that it needs to go somewhere. The minute that the voice starts talking to you about depression or anxiety, you're like, you know what? I don't know where you got to be, but you can't stay here. Jesus' refusal was curt. He said, beat it, Satan. He backed his rebuke with a third quotation from Deuteronomy. Worship the Lord your God and only him. Serve him with absolute single wholeheartedness. The test was over. The devil left. And in his place, angels. Angels came and took care of Jesus' needs. So can I, can I give you some points? I got, I, got, I got 10 minutes. I asked for 45 so I could speak for 50 because it tricks the boy. It tricks me. It tricks, tricks me. Anybody grow up with a speech impediment? No? All righty. So I, I got a couple of points that, that I want to help you. Can, can I give you some? Because in church, I can't give you the what and not give you the how. And the, these are some steps that I've used. These are some steps that I've been given from men and women that love God but are also human. I don't know why it is when we give our hearts to Christ that we forget that we still have to walk it out daily being a human. Like you're all spirit and all man, but even Jesus dealt with temptation. So what makes you think that you won't? Here's the first point. Deliverance is not the proof of your freedom. We can pray for you to be loose from whatever is holding you. We can have the evidence of you throwing up. The demon can be like, I am Jezebel. Like, oh, my God, this is the demon. And they can tell you, I've been on this family for 25 years, right? And we can pray on you. You can throw up, cry, scream, and the demon can leave, and you can be delivered but still bound. The spirit of depression, the, the, the spirit of anxiety, the spirit of, 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 of sexual identity crisis of trying to figure out who am I, where do I put what I put, right? Like I can give you deliverance and deliver you from something, but you can mentally still be in the place that I delivered you from. Look at the children of Israel. They lived in, in, in slavery for 400 years and they couldn't even do 40 years in the desert of freedom. You're free. Well, we should have went back. At least we got to eat. So you're okay with being in bondage, but the price of freedom is too much. The only evidence after you dry your face and blow your nose is that it's gone. That's the only evidence is that what we prayed, what was on you is gone. Not that your mind has made the adjustment. So this is the second point. We need spiritual checkups. 
I believe that every single pastor, any person that lays hands on somebody and delivers them from something, you are now responsible for checking up on that person. Because the demon, the, 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 the spirit might have left, but there's still a place for it to be there. The reason why the checkup is so important, because once you're delivered from that issue, the place where it sits still stands. So you got to literally wash yourself over so you can destroy that space so that if and when it comes back, it's unfamiliar because it doesn't have a place to stay anymore. You can kick a man out of your house that's freeloading off of you, young lady, as much as you want. But if you keep making the bed and the side that he sleeps in, he's always welcome. So if you want to keep him out of your house, you got to change the locks, which means that in your life, you got to change the locks of your mind because depression has a key and 24-hour access. You know what? I'm not going to let you into my brain anymore. I'm changing the locks. With the word of God washing me over and with good community, I can make sure that what used to stay here isn't at this residence anymore. Somebody say amen. We need spiritual checkups. Once a sickness has literally left your body, in some cases, you must continue to check up and do the routine treatments just because your body is not, it's, it's not ready to get rid of it. If you've had cancer for years, literally, me and Vanessa watched the documentary, your body will still tell you, hey, we still have cancer in our body. So you literally, once you are delivered and they say that you're going into remission, you still have to go to the treatment. So why is it once we receive deliverance from church, we get what we think we need, we don't come back anymore, and then we're frustrated? You don't need us. This needs you. This needs to capture you. Because just because you're in remission of your sin, it still smells familiar. Your body has expelled the sickness, but your mind hasn't gotten over the damage that has happened. We can deliver you from the incident, but there's a lot of stuff that happened, the damage. We haven't dealt with it yet. Brother Eric talked about being in a car accident. Yes, you've been delivered like God saved you. Yes, I'm, I'm okay, but my body is still sore. I got hit by a car. So a lot of us in the church were spiritually crippled because we're delivered, but we never fixed the ailment. Number three, do your homework. Every time that the enemy came to Jesus, he came back to him with his word. Jesus didn't combat the devil with truth, but with God's word. God's word isn't truth. It just is. For something to be true means that it could be false. God's word is neither true or false. It just is. A lot of things that we are being held captive by are truth, but it isn't speaking parallel with God's word. This also means you must know what you are susceptible to. Listen. You got to know what runs in your family. You got to know in certain situations, I act this way, so I should probably not deal with this. If you put yourself in a situation that you know that you don't work well in, you're to blame. Okay. What runs in your family? What are the patterns of your sin life? If I'm in this environment and this happens, I'm going to sleep with her. But the only way that I can prove if I'm over it is if I put myself in that decision and I deny it. No, that's insanity. Why not just do what the word of God says, which means to flee evil? The only way that I know that I've gotten over my addiction to drinking is to be in the club and not drink. That's, that, makes, that makes no sense. God will always provide a way of escape, and sometimes that way of escape is in your own thinking. Where do you fall over and over and over? What are the patterns in your life? Like, why do we not look at them? Because now we are literally creating functional disorder in our minds. It used to be this thing with pornography for me that, like, if I messed up on Tuesday, I just went the entire week because you can't start fresh on a Wednesday. Who am I talking to? I ate a burger on Tuesday. So I, you, who starts a diet on, on Wednesday? The diet starts Monday. That gives me seven more days to eat trash. But what you're doing is you're hurting your body in the process of getting over a stronghold in your mind that says, you know what? I can make a decision today that I'm done. Today. What are your weak points? Where are you weak? If you're weak there, you need some people to help you out in that space. Don't, don't be weak and stay weak because you think that there's no way out. There's always a way out. If you're not strong, use somebody else's strength. Are we good? I feel like I'm doing too much. We fall in sin. Lack of faith and curses because of our unpreparedness. Daddy used to talk to himself. And it wasn't the Holy Spirit, and he wasn't praying. You can get delivered from schizophrenia. You can be delivered from other things, but you still need to do your due diligence to make sure that your physical body is in the right place. We have these conversations with people that come to the church like, oh, this happened, and I've been set free, and I've been delivered. I'm going off of medication. Whoa, 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 whoa,
That's like saying I'm married, Jesus is love, so I don't have to love my wife anymore because he will. No, is it, would you, would you? No, if, you're still, if you still are dealing with something, God's grace is sufficient, but it's sufficient not for your ignorance. Ignorance is to get a word from God and to feel like you don't have to do anything. Remember, faith without works is take your medicine, that's work. Taking care of yourself is work. And I don't know why we don't teach this in the church, but if you have a mental illness, it's not okay and it's not yours. My anxiety, my depression, my, no, it's not yours. Stop claiming it. Because if it's on you, it can get off of you. Let me, let me move on. Somebody say repetition, repetition, repetition. Come on, say repetition. This is the fourth point. It took days, weeks, years, and generations for what you see as normal to be set. So it's going to take maybe not the same amount of time. It won't take as much time, but it's going to take some energy to undo what happened. Deliverance comes in a second, but freedom comes with work. Listen, please listen to me. It's all about the work that you put in. God, I've been set free. I'm delivered from the problem, but I still have to work on my freedom every single day. Slaves in America were set free. They were delivered, but they were still slaves in their mind. It took, gener it took generations and generations for me to get to this point where to believe that I'm free because people in my past weren't. It took 400 years for us to get to this point, black people. It took us 400 years for whatever culture you come from, if you're Jewish, if you're Swedish. If every person has dealt with something in their heritage that is not normal, but we call it tradition. This is just how we are. This is just how our people work. No, it's not. God has called you to be free in every single part of your life. Part number five. Look at your neighbor. Say, construct a new normal. Come on. Look at them. Say, construct a new normal. These are the steps that Jesus went through. First, he isolated himself. Then he found the right folks. When he went to the uh, Garden of Gethsemane, he took three guys with him because he realized even though I'm God and I can do everything by myself, I still need some accountability. When you go into your deliverance and you receive your deliverance from whatever you're dealing with, you need some people that you can be accountable for, which is the great plug for net groups. You can't do life alone. Net groups isn't just about learning the word of God and talking about Sunday. No, net groups is about somebody looking at you in your face and saying, hey, you smell like your sin today. Can we deal with that? accountability so you're not out here doing things on your own because a lot of the times what, you what you've been dealing with is too big for you. You need some people around you that have beat it. I can tell somebody that, that's, that, that's going through cancer, I can be like, God's grace is sufficient. But what if I've been through cancer and been set free? I ain't got to say nothing. I could be like, you got this. It's different because we're... Yeah. Find the right folks. Then you need to wash yourself in the word. In the Bible, it literally says that you literally wash yourself with the word, which means that it has to be done over and over and over. You pray with an open spirit. So can, can I show you something? Okay, I need my people to come. I need you to bring my book back. This is it. This is the close. I told you guys 45 minutes, and I'm out of here. Like cool in the game, what pastor would say. I, I want to show you um, a demonstration. No, it's, it's okay. Thank you. I, I want to show you a demonstration of what it looks like, right? So this is my mind. This is how I think. This is my brain. It carries everything that I think, how I think. Okay, look at, look at your neighbor and say, this is your brain. I want to say on drugs, but no. This is, y'all remember those commercials with the egg? That used to scare us as kids. Now it doesn't scare kids anymore because they're not dealing with just drugs. Another sermon. This is your brain. This, this, is, this is how I think. So what happens is, is that for years, I've carried the load of how I think. There have been experiences, there have been things that have happened to me that I carry with me, and I see the world through how I think. Who's following? Okay. This is how mental illness, this is how the traumatic parts happen in your life, and this is how your mind needs to be renewed. So this is what happens. You guys can come up. Can you guys come on my left, right, left, right, and left and right? Two over there, two over there. There are five different steps. There's five different steps when it comes to trauma. And I want you to write these down. This is my experience, but I believe this is going to be truth for somebody because somebody is not just going to receive deliverance today. You're going to receive freedom. 
Like, we're not just going to deliver you from whatever the spirit is or whatever you think is normal. No, you're going to receive freedom today. You're going to receive hope. Ready? The first thing that happens is a traumatic incident that introduces itself. Traumatic incident. Something happened to you when you were little. Something happened to you when you were older. Somebody said something. 9-11 is a traumatic incident. If you saw it on television, how many of you remember where you were? How many of you remember what you were wearing? How many of you remember what you smelled? How many remember what you ate for lunch that day? I remember like all of those things because something happened so big that it made me recognize what happened. This is why when something happens to you when you're little, your body will get over it, but you can remember the smell of the cologne. You, you can remember how cold it was. You can remember how alone you, you felt because there was an introduction of something. After there's an introduction, there's inception, which means that all these different issues, they, 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 they come to you. But after it's been introduced, I make the decision to adjust my thinking based off of what happened to me. Whatever happened in the basement I was for, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll ingest it. I'll take it on. It's a difference when I'm holding it here and when I attach it to how I think. Because now it has a basis to get life. A lot of how, how we think is because we're giving it life because we have connected it to the perfect part of God, which is our mind. Your mind is perfect. It was created just like God. So it's literally like a battery that never runs out of power. So if you hook the wrong thoughts up to this endless power source, you give it life. And now the traumatic moments that, the traumatic moments that I was living in are now gaining life from me because they're draining me of my energy. Who am I talking to? The next point is acceptance, which means that I believe the thought and I take it in as my own. So now, hold on, bro. You got to hold on to your, your, your thought, brother. So now I begin to take on this thought process. Come on, brother, move. And sometimes I got to help the ignorance. So now, keep, like, I'm tying myself up in what happened to me. Because now I've accepted it. So you don't see me and my beautiful brain. You see what happened to me. The fourth point is the application where now I'm going to live my life according to the thoughts. Where now these thoughts that came, I don't need them to be there anymore. Because now I've just accepted that this is my life now. So I don't need you guys anymore. I don't need you to remind me that I'm ugly. I don't need you... I don't need you to remind me that I'm broke. I don't need you to remind me that because I lost my virginity that I'm a terrible person. I don't need you to remind me that, I'm, that, that I don't have anything because now I'm sustaining the lie and the thought and the trauma. This is how a lot of us look in the room right now. This is my depression. And somebody wants to help you and you'll fight them over it. How silly do I look? How silly do I look? Talk to me. On a scale of one to ten, how dumb do I look? Thank you, guys. The fifth part, after it's introduced, after you have had the inception, you have the acceptance of it, the application. Then there's the manifestation. Listen closely. The thought becomes real and shows up in your life. There's something about playing with spirits and playing with demons, but there's something about when it actually shows up. My granny used to say, like, you can play with the devil all you want, but when he shows up at your address, you're going to change a little bit. Like, you can play in this sin as long as you don't see the demon on the end of it, but then the demon shows itself, and it scares the heck out of you. No, that's what was pulling the string the entire time. Because the way in which you think is so precious, but we are subscribing to lies. What happened to you as a little girl is not okay. This is not okay. It's not okay. But the minute that we feel insecure, because once I get rid of it, I got to do the work, we run back to it. And I, I, I don't know how to live without this. So but can I, can I show you something? 
Can I show you something? Can I show you something? After Jesus is in the wilderness, he preaches his first message. You know what his first message is? Repent. It's my final point. You can, you can go ahead. Repentance is not about your sin. We can take care of your sin in a minute. You want to take care of it really quick? Lift your hand if you want to get rid of the pain. Lift your hand, lift your hand, lift your hand. Father God, under the power of the Holy Spirit, God, we thank you for what you're doing. We accept Jesus into our hearts and we receive you. In Jesus' name, if you believe, I say amen. amen. You're saved. That's it. We glorify the deliverance. You're delivered. But the freedom comes after you repent. I'm teaching. I know I am. I know I am. I know I am not because of how silent you are. I know I am because God did this for me. This week. Because this is how I looked walking in here this morning. You see me up here worshiping. Sometimes it's not worshiping God in spirit and truth. Sometimes it's worshiping God in desperality and, and fear. Can we be real? I'm the most lonely I've ever been in my life. There are people I used to be able to call and I don't even remember their number anymore. How, like, what am I supposed to do here? I have just taken on the biggest part of my life that I will outside of marriage when the time comes, but like, I'm doing it alone sometimes and the enemy wants to get in my ear and tell you, yeah, there you go, Josh. Yeah, wrap yourself up with the traumatic experience. There you go. Oh yeah, there you go, boy. Yeah, oh, you missed some. You need to wrap yourself up in that. So it gets to this point where I gotta make a decision of saying, you know what? God, I repent. Listen, God, you know what, God? I know that I can't live life like this. I can't even make a move, God. I can't do what I need to do because I'm tripping over the lies that I believe. I'm tripping over the sickness, God. You know what? I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. You can have it. Who am I talking to this morning? Listen, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Last point. Repent. After the desert experience, Jesus preaches his first sermon. It's the Sermon on the Mount. God comes out of this place where he's being tormented, where the enemy is all over him. And he, the first message he preaches isn't, God, I went through a whole bunch of stuff. No. The first message that he speaks is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I want you to understand that the reason why we don't teach to make you feel good is because the world does that already. We teach you to make change. You are kings. You're queens. You're, you're sons and daughters of the most high God. And walking around like this destroys your witness that we worship a good God. Come on. For me to say that God is worth worshiping and I'm still wrapped up in my crap. No. This is a little bit more believable for me to say, you know what? I used to deal with this, but I have a God that I serve. So this is what repentance is. Repentance is taking your mind. It's taking how you used to think. And through the work, remember we say you have to be in your word. You got to be in relationship. You got to be in community. Like it's not just the deliverance. This is the freedom. It's saying, God, God. Woo. What happened to me at five isn't okay, God. It's not okay. This isn't okay. But I acknowledge it and I lay it at your feet. God, how I see myself. I think I'm the ugliest person in the world. And I know if I was going to take my own life, I know how I would do it. I know when I would do it. I've already written the letter over and over. And God, my life isn't worth it. But God, you told me that the way I feel about myself mentally, it's not worth it. So you know what I do? I just ball it up and I lay it at your feet. God, what happened to me? I didn't know any better. I didn't know. I was five. I don't know who this is for. I was five, God. I was the most innocent person in the world and somebody took my innocence, God. Like, I didn't ask for this, but it attached itself to the way that I think. But God, you know what? I don't, I don't want to see life through this filter of what happened to me anymore. Who is this for? Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. It doesn't have to be everybody. Stand to your feet. God, this, this isn't me. I couldn't even protect myself, God. 
I couldn't protect myself from what happened to me, but I know that this isn't the will of God for my life. So you know what? I just detach it from the way that I think. I am not what happened to me. I am not where they touched me. I am not the dirty feeling that I feel, God, because you've called me to be so much more. There is freedom happening in the room right now. Right now. It's not okay. You, you don't, and at some point, we're going to get real bold, like Jesus did when he was talking to the enemy. And you're going to be able to look at what used to hold you and you're gonna be able to say, look, you caused me some hurt and some pain and there's a lot of damage that has happened. So I'll never forget you because I need to have the testimony because it's gonna help me set people free. But today, I lay you at the feet of Jesus. And then once you repent, listen, listen, once you repent, my mind is renewed. The way in which I see life, the way in which I think, now it's not attached. It might remember what happened, but it's not what happened. 